Hey, everybody. Dave Lindbergh in Hong Kong with another episode of the THD podcast. Um, today with us, as always, we have Simon, our co-host in Japan. We hear it snowed there recently. Is this correct? Yep. Yep. We're covered in snow as we speak. All right. Well, you can possibly try to keep up with the snowfall with our guest today, uh, Mr. Eric Gaskell, coming from Montreal, Canada. How's it going today, Eric? Good, it's good. Felt like negative 20 here today. Oh, geez. All right. So, yeah, um, Eric's with a company called Aura Graphene. Um, graphene has been kind of a buzz in all kinds of different fields of material science over the last couple of years. So, uh, yeah, Eric, maybe tell us a bit about uh, the company, but I think uh, kind of important is, is what is graphene? And uh, what are you guys trying to use it for? <laughs> it's a broad question. Um, yeah. I, well, graphene fundamentally is a single atomic layer of carbon. So uh, the idea is that graphene has six electrons and it creates this hexagonal atomic structure. And if you put it into a single atomic layer, it for, forms like a honeycomb structure almost. Uh, so it's like a honeycomb at the atomic level which makes it one of the strongest, as you know from engineering, honeycomb structures are used all over the place, but this is fundamentally that structure and it is one of the strongest, lightest materials known to man. Um, and unfortunately, it's also very difficult to, to work with being a single atomic layer thick. And uh, it's, it's difficult to deposit, it's difficult to, um, uh, to sustain it, right? You usually have it on a substrate or something to, to basically be able to handle it. Um, and so what we work with that is actually a slightly different version of the material. It's uh, graphene flakes. So flakes of these single atomic layers of carbon atoms that have been functionalized with oxygen groups. And those oxygen groups basically allow us to sort of cross-link between layers of graphene and make it into a freestanding uh, carbon structure. Yeah. Okay, so is is that a bit of a, a mix? Is a, a layman's way to say that you're you're using graphene? Uh, would that be similar to like fiber reinforced plastic? But this is graphene reinforced carbon structures. Um, not quite, because there are actually uh, carbon reinforced polymers, uh, and people using graphene to reinforce polymers. Um, and usually in those cases, you have like between like two to 10% of the graphene into, into a polymer base. Um, but actually what we're doing is about, you know, 90 to 98% graphene with a very small amount of a chemical crosslinker that basically just allows us to kind of strap between the layers. Yeah. Okay. Is that, is that assisting with like, uh, the production yields and things like this? Because I've heard that graphene, it's its a very slow process to get it. So it's been hard to industrialize the material into products because you can't make it quick enough. So is that part of the reason for, for mixing it? That's exactly the case, yes. Um, you know, normally for, for pristine graphene, as, as people call it, you would need chemical vapor deposition, which is an expensive and time-consuming process. Um, and it's been limiting a lot of the commercialization of graphene. But because we work specifically with graphene oxide, uh, it allows for a much easier uh, deposition process. Um, you know, Aura is fundamentally a materials company 
first and an audio company second. And so we spend a lot of time working on how we how we create this material. And uh, so a big part of it is how we can deposit it quickly and efficiently uh, at a relatively low cost. Okay. And what is it deposited onto? Uh, well, we deposit it onto molds. So another part of our uh, innovation really is that we can make these membranes into uh, 3D geometric shapes like uh, cones and domes for, for loudspeakers. And so we create a, a mold out of a specialized material uh, and then we sort of deposit it onto that shape. And in that process, we, we come up with these 3D forms of, of graphene. I see. Okay, so it's not deposited onto anything. It's, uh, it, it's no. In the end, we peel it off, and it's yeah. and it's a freestanding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the deposition process, if it it's not, uh, I think you said the 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 base graphene is CVD, chemical vapor deposition. So, mm -hmm. or what process would you guys use to deposit? Uh, well, it's somewhat akin to injection molding. So we we put it in a liquid base, uh, and then we mold it into the the shape with some some vacuum and pressure to uh, to get it to take the the form that we want. Okay. So it, it yeah it starts out uh, it starts out a liquid, and then we basically extract the the base and and are left with this the, the solid shape. Okay, and then so for the the audio category of things, um, you've been focusing on on diaphragms uh, for smaller speakers, or what range of speakers would you be focusing on? Well, generally, with the characteristics of the material, that it really excels for tweeters and uh, small full range loudspeakers. Um, so we've been working a lot with micro speakers, headphone drivers, and uh, like drivers for smart home loudspeakers. Where you have to have a very small, you know, driver uh, deal with a lot of sound emission, um, which is is good for us because you know as we build up our capacity to make these membranes, it's nice to start small. Uh, there's no reason why we couldn't use it for larger, like six-inch drivers, um, but uh, it's it becomes more expensive uh, with the with the larger form factors. And it, um, we don't have, at the, at the moment, we don't have sort of uh, chambers that are large enough to, to support much larger than maybe about uh, six to nine inches. Okay. And then so what, what kind of stage are you at in commercializing the technology then? Well, we've been sort of taking a very, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uh, Silicon Valley startup approach where we're kind of trying to bring this technology to the major brands first. Uh, you know, rather than kind of trying to bring it up through the supply chain, we've been working, you know, directly with major cell phone companies, audio companies, headphone companies, uh, trying to uh, impress them with the uh, capabilities of this material and try to get them into their uh, consumer devices. And uh, so it's been a it's been a long process. We obviously we're also continuing to develop the material. Um, there's a lot that can be done with it. And uh, and we're you know we're seeing improvements, you know month over month in our ability to improve the stiffness and the lower the density, um, but uh, yeah right now we are we have the capacity to create about you know six thousand headphone membranes a month I can say that because we we needed to do it for our our own headphones that we released as a crowdfunding campaign, uh, mm -hmm. but we're really looking to scale up our manufacturing capacity. 
um, so that uh, we can be seriously considered for some of these uh, products that we're we're talking to these companies about. Okay, so you kind of kind of find the uh, kind of beta the technology with some uh, some experts and either brand side they'll always tell you exactly what they want, um, and so that's kind of a I think a very logical way to approach the market. So what uh, what benefits are are they seeing acoustically from the material? So you see, I mean, lightweight and, and density are always issues with diaphragm material. Um, so and then what what does that turn into in terms of what the user hears? Right. I mean, our big advantage at the moment is our low density. So it's it's an extremely stiff material, um, but uh, but the low density is where we can really uh, provide a lot of benefits. So oftentimes we're seeing you know two to four dB of increase in level while maintaining a consistent frequency response to other materials like uh, you know aluminum or whatever had been used in the original um, membrane. Okay. And is uh, how, how does it, well, I guess it's hard to tell without really ramping for mass production, but is there a comparison on cost like versus uh, aluminum? Well, we, you know, <laughs> cost is a, is a funny equation for us at the moment because, and people ask us this all the time. And, you know, we have, we have to say, well, it depends on, on when you place the order and, and how much the order is for, um, because, you know, we need to, you know, increase our capacity. Right now, the people who are doing the depositions, they all have masters and PhDs and material right. science and chemistry. And obviously, that's an expensive, you know, undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we need, you know, we need a really big uh, contract in order to sort of scale up our manufacturing to get to the point where we can bring the production costs down. So we firmly believe that we will get this material to be about on par with an equivalent aluminum membrane. So if you can imagine, you know, aluminum membrane for whatever loudspeaker driver you're uh, using, uh, it shouldn't increase the cost significantly over the, uh, the aluminum membrane. Okay. Um, you know, it's hard to compete with the cost of membranes like paper and uh, PET, but uh, you know, the aluminum have you know, they, they, the raw material has some some value, and the forming costs some money. And we look at you know what these things cost, and we think we can get there, um, such that we can be a uh, uh, you know competitive with you know this this material that is currently used in consumer products. Okay, and then so the source of the raw material to develop the graphene from. Uh, that's readily available. There's no kind of uh, not not, not going to run in, in, into anything like a neodymium issue, are we? <laughs> uh, no, it is fairly available. Uh, there are several companies making the raw material that we use, um, so we source from a few different suppliers all around the world. Uh, and you know, the cost for the raw material is also going down significantly year over year as as these companies ramp up their production and uh, and see more demand for for these types of products. Okay, and and besides the audio, where might people find graphene in use today? Uh, well, the 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 uh, use of graphene to reinforce polymers is very popular. You've already seen that a little bit in like tennis rackets or okay. uh, skis, fishing poles. Um, a lot of sporting equipment. Uh, it basically allows them to make a polymer, you know, a little bit stiffer, you know, maybe 50% stiffer while also not increasing the mass very much. So you can make a lighter, stiffer, you know, polymer out of uh, these graphene reinforced materials. Um, there's a lot of work 
on actually on graphene oxide for water for water filtration and uh, sieving, um, and uh, a little bit of work with graphene for thermal conductivity just to help move heat away from things in uh, in you know industrial cooling applications. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. So when you form when you form a diaphragm, is it a is it a, a stiff material? I mean, rigid material. It is very rigid. So um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll share a couple slides here to to give a bit of context. Um, so I'll jump right to to this one where we're sort of comparing the material to other common loudspeaker uh, membrane materials. And, you know, the, the important aspects here are the Young's modulus, which is a measure of the stiffness of the, the material, the density, which essentially how much it weighs for, for how much you have, mm -hmm. and the, the loss factor, a damping factor, which kind of describes how quickly the uh, energy will be absorbed by the material. So aluminum, for example, has very poor damping, and uh, oftentimes people refer to like aluminum tweeters as sounding zingy. Uh, and that's largely because uh, they, you know, they retain energy for a long time and it rings out, um, giving it that, that kind of zingy sonic signature. So, you know, damping can be very important in achieving like a nice smooth frequency response. Um, so our material is, um, you know, currently not as stiff as aluminum. Uh, in terms of its Young's modulus, but uh, the the density is much lower. So when you when you look at a material, the the speed of sound in the material really determines the frequency at which it will begin to to break up, right? So for a given uh, dimension of the loudspeaker, the wavelength that first fits within that dimension will start to create modes in the membrane itself and irregularities in the frequency response. Um, and uh, and the speed of sound is based on the the Young's modulus and the density. So uh, the speed of sound in our material is actually currently faster than in aluminum, uh, despite the fact that our material is a little less stiff. Uh, and that's because uh, of the much lower density that we have. We're almost half as heavy as aluminum. And uh, and so the overall speed of sound is a bit faster. So we look at you know how. Uh, our, our membranes work in the frequency domain, we're actually getting a uh, larger bandwidth than you might from an equivalent aluminum membrane. And um, you've got Young's modulus there at one kilohertz and at 10 kilohertz. Uh, how is that measured? Uh, so, uh, sort of like a static, it's not a static tensile test then. It's... That's right. Uh, th this is something that happens in, in polymers a lot where you have a viscoelastic behavior uh, where you have a modulus that, that changes relative to frequency. Um, and for ours, we actually get an increasing uh, Young's modulus with increasing frequency, which is nice because it's, you know, we really need that additional stiffness at high frequency where loudspeaker breakup is likely to occur. Um, so we use a method uh, called uh, TTS, which is uh, time temperature superposition. And basically, we measure the Young's modulus at different uh, temperatures and then use a, a mapping function to determine how those temperatures relate to uh, different frequencies. And we can then map from the temperature domain to the frequency domain and determine 
our, our modulus versus frequency up to, uh, you know, very high frequencies. Interesting. Okay. So when you, when you produce a diaphragm, what's the thickness? So, oh, let me put it another way. Uh, like a headphone driver, the mylar diaphragm, the raw material itself is, is just flexible. It's a very thin film. Is the mm -hmm. same, is it the same for the, uh, graphene diaphragms? Uh, no, they're very rigid. So all of our drivers require a, a suspension uh, in order to allow them to have the excursion necessary to move. So it's more akin to like a carbon fiber aluminum membrane where then you have a, a, right. um, a suspension around the outside edge. And they do that in headphone drivers sometimes using, um, you know, uh, paper. Sometimes they use, they often call it uh, uh, biocellulose to make it sound fancy, but basically paper membranes that are more rigid and not intended to flex, or even, you know, some are high-end headphones that might use like beryllium as their, their headphone membrane and then have a, a compliant suspension around the outside. Right, right. Uh, but for uh, other speakers, they, uh, they always have a flexible surround. Um, yes. Yeah. For, we always, we always need a flexible surround for our, for our material. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so for example, this is a picture of, uh, our, our headphone, uh, driver, and we use a super rigid, um, you know, center membrane and then have a, uh, a PU, uh, material that's supple around the outside edge to allow it to move freely. Hmm. Okay. Um, as long as I'm on this slide, I also may as well yep. point out that this is a electron microscope image of the, the edge of the material. So if you look um, at the edge of the material under electron microscope, you can actually see these layers of, um, of graphene that are then held together with our, our cross-linking agents. So, you know, this, this is a little bit that's flopped up, but you see it's almost translucent because uh, it's so thin. Um, and these layers of carbon are basically stacked on top of each other in a, in a laminate structure. Um, that uh, allows us to take advantage of the, you know, the characteristics of graphene, right? Our, our material is not as stiff as, you know, a single layer of pristine graphene would be, but we can leverage the very interesting mechanical properties of graphene to, to create this uh, laminate material that takes advantage of those uh, characteristics. So, so, so you're... Go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say, so this, just to try to understand it here so you're using it's ald atomic la atomic layer deposition or whatever that uh, acronym stands for and so you're, you're layering your graphene oxide to create like a, a kind of a stack of material is that is that how the structuring works uh well the chemical vapor deposition it would be one way to achieve that okay. uh, but what we're doing actually because it's graphene oxide allows us to take they're smaller flakes. So um, this wouldn't be a continuous, each one of these layers aren't continuous. Uh, yeah. We, But based on the aspect ratio of these flakes right there, they're almost vanishingly thin, but they have some sort of X, Y dimension and they, they want to lay flat. So in the deposition process, they naturally tend to sort of stack and lay flat on top of each other. And then the, the cross-licking agent then, at, you know, at, creates a reaction that, that holds them. Uh, in those, in that position. Okay. What's the total thickness of a, uh, like a, uh, headphone driver membrane? 
Well, currently we can deposit between about 10 microns and about 200 microns thick. Okay, what's it? I, I believe the, the headphone driver membrane is about 35 microns. Right, right. It's very thin. Yeah. <laughs> it is, and it can be a little bit uh, brittle to handle. Um, you know, we have to work with our supply chain to sort of train them to be able to assemble these drivers consistently. So yeah, you produce yeah. a stack of diaphragms and uh, send them off to a, a driver manufacturer to assemble? That's it. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we work with a lot of companies in, in China and basically we make our membranes in Montreal. Uh, we deposit them directly into the shape we want and then we send them off to partners in China to get the suspension glued and get them assembled into drivers. Okay. And then uh, is there a plan in place? Like, you know, once you get that customer and you get the kind of market traction, um, would it be Asia that you would move to for, for ramping the volume of, of the diaphragms? Or is, uh, is, is it something that you want to... So. Yeah, yeah, we're just asking that because is it something that you need to keep close for, for IP protection? Um, well, that, our, that is our current strategy. We're, we're keeping it very close. We're, we do it in Montreal, um, and it has two reasons. One, for IP protection, and, and two, just because we're continuing to adapt the process to improve it, to try to automate it where we can. Um, and so having the, the main facility close to home means that we can be, you know, we can adapt it faster, we can make adjustments quicker. Um, but we definitely see a certain value in having the actual manufacturing happen closer to the supply chains for, for these types of products. So, um, you know, we've been considering Asia. Um, we just need, you know, a, if we had the right partner, I think we would feel comfortable about, about moving it. Hmm. Yeah, uh, well, we've got our opinions on partnership versus uh, controlling your destiny in Asia. <laughs> uh, we've seen it a lot with different kind of material science things. Um, and, and, and you mentioned in Montreal there, the production in Montreal, and I understand there's a close relationship with McGill uh, in terms of like the talent pool and, uh, and, and the, uh, some, some of the, uh, the ingredients to, to make this happen have come from the university there. That's right. Uh, my, my brother and I actually came up with the idea to, to do this, uh, to apply graphene oxide to the loudspeakers. And um, really, we started with ribbon microphone membranes. Uh, well, we were both at McGill, uh, you know, and studying. And um, so we, you know, when we first patented the idea, we had a lot of involvement with the electrical engineering, the chemistry department at McGill, they were very supportive and, and helped us to, you know, file for the initial core patent and uh, and really start developing it for, for loudspeaker applications. And we're still in contact with them and they allow us, you know, certain access to some facilities. So for example, Aura does not own its own electron microscope. Uh, we, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> we rely on being able to use one occasionally at McGill to, to look at what's happening, yeah. Okay, and yeah, I believe McGill has a pretty good uh, acoustics program, if I'm not mistaken. So, was there some kind of fusion between the the material science guys and and you know, hanging out with some acoustic nerds, or how did it? Or was it? Or <laughs> your, that's or kind of it exactly. We well, I was doing my PhD in the sound recording area, so McGill has you know world famous sound recording program. There's a lot of a lot of you know well known engineers go through that that 
master's program. And I did the same and went on to do a PhD. My brother was actually working with graphene in the electrical engineering department. He was working on a project with General Motors to apply graphene oxide to battery anodes. And, uh, you know, we get to talking in the evenings about what we were working on and kind of, you know, drinking beer and hanging out and thinking about what we could, you know, do together. And this, this idea kind of popped out of that. Um, okay. Yeah. And that, so graphene is conductive on its own? Uh, pristine graphene is very conductive. Uh, okay. When you add the oxide layer uh, with our material, it sort of ceases to be particularly conductive. But there are ways that you can uh, restore that conductivity by a process called reduction, where basically you then remove the oxygen again from the formed uh, graphene material. And so there are ways to, to treat one of our membranes to, uh, to restore conductivity um, to, to a limited extent. Uh, we, we've, we've toyed around with this to, to help tune the thermal conductivity of the material, but the electrical conductivity is still fairly low. Okay. Yeah, I was going to just uh, maybe uh, add Simon's uh, opinion on that. Will the conductivity of the uh, diaphragm of, of affect the electromechanical of the actual transducer. Um, so is that a good thing or a bad thing? I guess you could come up with a circumstance in which that would be a good thing, but generally the uh, the coil or whatever, the electrical aspect of it is totally isolated from the diaphragm. Right, okay, interesting. So you guys went ahead and built a whole headphone to prove the concept? <laughs> we did, uh, yeah. we did a, um... A Kickstarter, uh, you know, crowdfunding campaign. Um, it was, you know, sort of a way to, you know, get some attention and uh, also to raise a little bit of money. Actually, it was it was much more successful than we thought it would be. Um, you know, we were expecting to kind of make 300 pairs of headphones with, you know, some rapid prototyping techniques, and we we ended up getting over 3,000 uh, orders. Wow. And so we ended up uh, going with, you know, making our own injection molds and kind of going with the full, uh, you know, production in, in China to get the headphones made. Uh, was that quite a distraction from the focus of the diaphragm itself or did it, did you find it to be quite a helpful thing? It, <laughs> well, if I'm being honest, it's been a little bit of a distraction, you know, yeah. our Aura's goal is not really to be a consumer facing company. Uh, we really want to develop this tech for to, to get it into the hands of other companies and other other headphones. And we have had a lot of interest, but uh, you know this this project has forced us to you know kind of deal with that consumer side a little bit earlier than maybe we anticipated. And um, uh, it's been you know it's been a good acid test really. We we've had some technical problems with the headphones, but none of them have anything to do with the drivers. Sure. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, we, we chose the worst possible year to decide <laughs> to, you know, do a small run of manufacturing in China. I think we, we started our manufacturing run in early March and then it oh. all came, you know, kind of grinding to a halt. So we've been, you know, scratching and pulling to try to get the headphones out, but we finally are almost uh, completely delivered with the, with the product. Wow. So will it be only people from the crowdfunding that can get a, their hands on those or do you plan to do further production runs? At the moment, uh, only the crowdfunders are the ones that have access. Uh, we are considering doing a, a second run. 
maybe in partnership with uh, with another headphone company. Um, you know, but uh, we're really putting all of our most of our focus into you know getting the drivers into headphones from other companies. Okay. Do you think that headphone drivers is a focus? I mean, headphones is sort of the popular thing. Uh, well, headphone drivers have proven to be a, a, a good opportunity for us because um, it's a good it's a good size for our technology in terms of our ability to manufacture it. Um, the the benefits are are very clear uh, when people listen to it, and um, the, it also has a, a bit of you know cachet, like a, a bit of marketing you know glitter to it, the the graphene aspect. So. Um, it's we've gotten a lot of attention from the from the headphone space. Uh, also, you know, there's a bit more room in a lot in some of these products for, um, you know, a slightly increased bomb cost for some technology like this, right? Whereas, you know, a, a home pod device, those companies are, are clawing at every penny. So, uh, I, I would have thought so. So for headphones, um, sensitivity is not the most critical thing, but for uh, micro speakers, uh, small stuff like that, it's everything is is sensitivity. Yeah. Do you think that's a valid point, or are there other aspects to it? Uh, I think that I think that that is one of the most valid points. Uh, there's also some considerations about the technology readiness of our material. So, uh, you know, headphones don't have to deal with as severe environmental conditions as maybe a cell phone loudspeaker would um, in terms of waterproofness, uh, high temperatures, high humidity. Um, the, uh, the, the targets that some of these companies were working with for micro speakers that they want us to hit for those are, are require some fundamental research to, to get there. Uh, right. Whereas uh, the headphone driver application, it's, it's a lot more room, more space for the uh, heat to dissipate. Um, and, uh, and generally speaking, people aren't expecting their headphones to be water, completely waterproof. Other things like that make it a, a sort of a better opportunity for us. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so does the, does the sensitivity and the thickness of the membrane, would it be conducive for application in like inside a balanced armature or some kind of like micro, like, you know, those tiny little membranes inside there? Is it, if I understand those structures correctly, is that a, a I actually would love to have the opportunity to try it there, you know, as, as a very young company, we kind of react to where the, the market interest pulls up. So we do these engagements with companies and they tell us what they want and we, we kind of deliver on it. And that's how a lot of our development gets done um, is based on just trying delivering what, you know, specifically somebody has asked for. And um, we, uh, we actually did a, a balanced armature project very early on in our, um, in our company and our material really wasn't ready for it yet at that point. Um, but I, I do wonder because, you know, balanced armature devices are famous for being very, very resonant. Um, and if it's possible that the higher damping in, in the graphene material might help with the sound quality of those, those types of devices. Yeah. I, I hope to someday have an opportunity to try it again in, in a balanced armature. Yeah. Didn't uh, Simon, we talked to somebody making MEMS uh, mics and they, they were, playing with the or, or or very concerned about the sensitivity of the membrane for the the frequencies that they were collecting with the with the pickup the mic pickup 
Yeah, well, that's it. When you get down to the very small sizes, masses, uh, it you know it makes an enormous difference, doesn't it? Yeah. No, yeah, we, we've spoken to quite a few of these people on this podcast that uh, might have interest in your technology. Um, all right, that's cool. Uh, so, uh, so as it is, uh, let's say in a micro speaker application there, that you talked about waterproofing and there'd be a robustness thing. Does it tend to be quite brittle? Like, would it be if you uh, mashed it, you would fracture it? Yeah, it can be brittle. It's, uh, you know, probably similar to like a beryllium in terms of its... Uh, Mm -hmm. it's you know robustness uh it's usually okay but if you start poking it 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 can it can shatter and if you're not handling it properly in assembly you can break it yeah yeah and then tweeter applications would be a an interesting one then formed as a yeah, I mean, that seems to be you know what i that's sort of where i thought it would always take off and for years actually we you know we i think it was like three years before we actually had our first uh tweeter project come in the door uh so again you know i i assumed this would be like the breakout application would be tweeters but we've, we've only had a couple opportunities to work on them but in every case we've had very good results You're not coming through, Dave. I think we might have lost your mic. So, uh, oh, sorry. Can you hear oh, me? There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying those those brilliant tweeters like Focal use those are pricey uh, at a yeah. bill of materials. I think they're thirty five dollars for the brilliant. So, um, you would be competitive and acoustically uh, look like according to your chart versus that material. So that could be a, a nice slide in replacement. Yeah, that's you know that's long been our our target, right? There's a uh, you know, if we can be the replacement for beryllium at, at an order of magnitude lower cost, that you know that would make us happy. And uh, we're kind of we're kind of in there right at the moment. We're kind of a little bit better than aluminum and magnesium, uh, but we're we're not quite at that that beryllium level yet. But our cost is already lower than an equivalent beryllium membrane. Um, so you know, there's. Uh, some of these companies that that do work with these esoteric materials are, are interested in in the graphene as sort of a um, position in their product line that that sits sort of between their you know their you know diamond technology or beryllium technology and and the rest of their product line. Yeah, so it sounds like the 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 go to market strategy should be uh, well, just put my opinion here. If I could be so bold. Uh, it would be to start with some pretty premium, uh, like, you know, studio monitors or premium headphones. And then kind of as your mass production scalability comes along, uh, filter it out because you're going to be able to drive the cost out of it um, looking at things. So uh, that we can get some market traction with some high end and then, you know, people will follow. Um, uh, yeah, that's absolutely the hope. You know, I mean, we think that we can definitely make this material in the future. We can make it price competitive with other solutions for just everyday consumer devices. Uh, but at the moment, we, we need to start at the high end of these product lines to kind of, you know, legitimize the, the cost of this early stage technology. Yeah, because there's that you did mention earlier, the buzzword in marketing about graphene. And, uh, you know, the people just kind of gravitate towards it. Um, I'm not sure exactly why. Where did that come from? Why is why is was it like the Nobel Prize or what made it so cool? 
I mean, yeah, it was the, the most recent cool thing. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was in high school, carbon nanotubes were the, were the, the thing that were going to change the world. Um, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of people are excited about graphene's potential for, for its electronics properties, for its ability to maybe, you know, make computers smaller and more powerful and make transistors essentially out of, out of mm -hmm. graphene. Um, so I think a lot of the, the excitement about it, you know, comes from this idea that, that it's going to, to change everybody's everyday lives in so many different ways. Um, and uh, certainly the, the guys at uh, University of Manchester who first isolated it uh, won the, the Nobel Prize for, for doing that. Um, and that, that, that brings a lot of attention. So there was a lot, you know, there was a very much a rush of graphene research, you know, right around 2010 when, the, when they won the Nobel Prize. Uh, and, uh, you know, as with a lot of these things that get a lot of attention early on, the reality of, of you know, developing the material and finding a, uh, a good, you know, commercial use case for it and uh, developing in that direction, that all takes time. So some of the excitement of graphene has kind of, you know, lulled over the, over the years, but, uh, but certainly like when, the, when it first happened, when it was first discovered and, um, and people started talking about its potential, there was a lot of, you know, giddy interest from even, you know, the, the public. Yeah, no, I mean, it is a universal theme. The lightweight and strong um, is in materials. It's everybody's always looking for that magic formula. Uh, so, yeah. Could you remind yeah. me again what Poisson's ratio is? What's that? Uh, could you remind us what Poisson's ratio is? Oh, boy. Uh, I have to preface this by saying that I'm not a material scientist myself, okay. but I think it's a tendency for something to to stretch and return to its normal position. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah. ratio between uh, shear stiffness and, and tensile stiffness, something like that. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Moving on. <laughs> Some, somebody, somebody can post in the comments. Hey, you dummies, don't yeah. know what you're talking about. I'm sure somebody out there knows. <laughs> One of these console jockeys uh, need to use Poisson's ratio for all their models. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, how how big is the company at this point? How many people? So we're we're 14 employees at the moment, um, and we've been we've been growing. Um, you know, we we brought in a bunch of new employees, I think about a year ago, and, and we're hoping to do do another sort of scale up in terms of our, our size as we move to a new facility. Um, you know, and it's, we're expected to do so in the next few months. Yeah, yeah I guess it's, growth is kind of a challenging thing in, in most days, let alone uh, during these, these COVID times. So, yeah. Yeah, we had a whole we had a new facility all planned out. We had uh, we were about to you know sign a lease on a on a, a new space, uh, and that was in we were going to sign in May. And of course, with with everything that happened, uh, we ended up not taking it. And so we're we're kind of waiting, holding our um, holding back to to find the right space again and um, and get the right opportunity to to sort of fund that that growth. Okay, and and you're you're obviously a private company still at this point, so that's uh, everything's under your control. That's good. Um, yeah, all right. Let's. See. And do you think you'll be pursuing headphone drivers in the short term? In the short term, yes, I would say that that is where we have the highest level of interest at the moment. Um, 
and uh, particularly from the gaming sector, it seems that a lot of the gaming headphone companies are are looking for you know innovative differentiators uh, with their competition. So we, we see a lot of interest there, and um, I, I would anticipate something you know one of these things happening in the next you know in the next year to two years. Okay. So the the uh, high frequency, but okay, low frequency, fine. The high frequency thing is uh, get, is getting more and more attention. You, you know, higher sampling rate, uh, uh, audio signals, audio source material, and so on. And so is that is that an area that is probably a strength? Do you think for the graphene compared to you know mylar? I mean, certainly. I mean, I I'll I'll jump ahead here to show it a, a specific example uh, from a headphone driver project that we worked on. Um, so this is this is a type of project that we often do with with companies. Uh, we take an existing you know driver that they have. It's the headphone driver, a micro speaker, or a full range uh, home uh, pod device. Yep. And uh, basically, we make a a new membrane that sits inside that existing frame and magnet assembly, and basically works with their their whole existing you know infrastructure so that. Uh, it's just a, a A-B comparison of what happens when we replace their existing membrane with our, our technology. You're right. And so for this, we took a, a 50 millimeter driver that used a PET membrane um, and replaced it with, with our graphene uh, diaphragm. And uh, what we see is, is pretty remarkable, particularly in the frequency domain, because the, the PET membrane, in order to allow it to move since the membrane and suspension are the same piece. The, the whole thing is very soft. And that means you get a lot of modal uh, energy starting at a relatively low frequency. And in these types of uh, polymer membrane headphone drivers, a lot of the times the majority of the high frequencies is kind of uh, almost assembled out of these high density modal resonances that are loudspeaker breakups that are so clustered that they, they give kind of almost the impression of a, of a smooth high frequency response, but it's actually a lot of clustered peaks and dips. And there's an associated, uh, you know, harmonic and intermodulation, intermodulation distortion that yeah. happens um, with these, these breakup resonances. Um, with, with our membrane, it stays rigid up to about 11 kilohertz. You know, the first, you know, uh, harmonic of that 11 kilohertz is above, 20 kilohertz. So in the, you know, in the audible domain, we get a very smooth response that, uh, that doesn't have the same amount of breakup. And you see it in the, in the harmonic distortion down here, uh, you know, the first uh, major breakup mode of this PET membrane is, you know, at about, uh, you know, just over three kilohertz. And then you just have a whole bunch of, you know, harmonic breakup frequencies that exist above that, giving it this, this really, you know, significant amount of high frequency distortion. And uh, when you listen to a pair of headphones that uses a graphene driver, it was one of the first things you notice is that, that lack of distortion in the high end. You might not have realized you were listening to it, but when it goes away, the sound is much less fatiguing. And you can also get uh, much better stereo imaging because you don't have this these sort of phase shifting, um, you know, narrow Q peaks going on. Okay, Ooh, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, the 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 key word you just said there for gaming is fatiguing. So if uh, 
somebody's playing uh, whatever for 48 hours straight <laughs> they need their right. uh, their headphones not to tire them out so that's that's actually a yeah, feature that people look for in gaming headphones is is ear fatigue uh, so that's yeah. in, in the acoustic response yeah they the brands look for that function so uh yeah and then you know if you if you look at the intermodulation distortion it's it gets even you know more stark the difference between the the two drivers. So this is the dotted line is our, our is a polymer, and the solid line is a graphene for second and third order intermodulation distortion. So you see in the, you know, second order intermodulation distortion, it's you know, it's much much lower than the um, uh, <clears throat> than the polymer, and this distortion exists you know throughout the the audible bandwidth, and in the, for the third order we have almost none uh, relative to the uh, the polymer membrane, and that definitely uh, affects your 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 listening. You know, when your brain has to listen through all that that distortion, um, it, uh, it it's it takes a lot of mental energy. Even if you're not specifically hearing it as distortion, it still it takes its toll on your attention uh, and your ability to hear to hear detail in the sound. Wow, that could yeah. just thinking about some of the products people are trying to make for for education market. So if there's less kind of distraction in the sound, people are maybe their cognitive skills are a little bit better. Um, is, that, is that a reality or am I just dreaming? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, listening fatigue is a very difficult thing to, uh, to, to measure. Um, you know, I've, I've asked a few of my, you know, psychoacoustics folks that I know, um, you know, including Poppy Crumb over at uh, at Dolby Labs, and unfortunately, I've never come up with a really great, you know, you know, metric that I, that one could use or a technique to use to measure, you know, how much attention slash listening fatigue you you get from from one audio you know source versus another. Uh, but it, it's something that's certainly been interesting to me because I feel it, you know, myself when I when I listen to, you know, something that's more distorted. When I listen to music off, you know, the cell phone versus off my 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 Tannoys or something, uh, it it really, you know, it feels like it takes a lot more work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's kind of I, I kind of know the struggle is like trying to listen to something that's almost like somebody yelling in your ear at a bar. Like I always, that's like one of my biggest pet peeves is like, I just, I don't care what you're saying. I don't want to hear it, but in any, in a different environment, it might be something that you want to hear. So I mean, that maybe that's a nice analogy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the, the funny thing about it is with you, you have some of these headphones with uh, all this high end distortion. When you, when you kind of do that AB switch, when you put on the, the headphones, the very distorted ones, initially you're like, Whoa, this is, this is great. You know, it sounds very bright, very, you know, energetic. Um, and then, you know, if you just continue listening for 60 seconds or more, then that's when it starts to kind of hit you that, uh, that, you know, it's kind of wearing down your ears and you're feeling a little bit tired. Mm. That's awesome. Is this response to like a free field measurement or is it in, built into a headphone? Uh, so this is in a IEC baffle uh, right. without the damping paper on the back. So in order to uh, to get the, the base response, we basically remove all the acoustic damping right, right, and, right. Uh, and then measure it in a baffle. Very cool. Okay. And there was another one there with st uh, stiffness, linearity. 
Oh, this, yeah, that's, well, you know, this I can't really take credit for. It's not the graphene that's doing this. It's the fact that we're using a free edge design, right? When you have a single piece where the membrane is the suspension, it's hard to get this, uh, this linear uh, KMS function over a broad range. Um, right. So often what they do in headphones is then dampen the headphone driver a lot, uh, you know, put it in this pressure chamber so that it doesn't have to move very far in order to produce, you know, bass. Um, and, but with the free edge design, since it's, it creates a much more symmetric, um, you know, spring function, and you can, um, right, right, right. Uh, you can allow it to move further without uh, without getting a lot of that uh, low frequency um, distortion. Yeah. Uh, and that you know, when you start looking at the this uh, intermodulation distortion, that's why you know it's part of why the graphene driver is so much lower because it's not riding on a lot of this low frequency nonlinearity. That's that's mm. basically a product of that nonlinear uh, KMS function. Okay. Uh, Simon, would you say that'd be a good uh, testing point for those liquid silicon rubber surrounds versus, I think, Eric, you said you're using polyurethane surrounds on these right now? We use different materials with different drivers, but uh, our, our current headphone driver uses PU. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think so have you heard of the liquid silicon rubber guys? Um, I don't know that I have. It's not the, the folks that are doing sort of... Um, almost formed, they look like mountain ranges, the suspensions there where it's like uh, peaks and dips and different kind of strange geometries in the suspension itself. It's Possibly a, not. They've just got a okay. technique to uh, injection mold or vacuum form the surround directly onto the material. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, in, yes. it's injection molded. Uh, and they're, they're, the guys I know from Taiwan, they're using uh, optical grade tooling. So it's the tooling's the expensive part of it, but the ability to be precise down to 35 microns in the surround and also design it in three dimensions. And then you're bonding the, the, the diaphragm dome to the, to the, 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 the basket ring, whatever you, the outside part, uh, all in one shot. So you eliminate glue. So it eliminates a little bit of mass when you're talking about very like, you know, 40 millimeter down to six millimeter drivers that little bit of mass and the consistency helps out a lot. That's, that's very interesting. I mean, um, you know, sometimes we struggle to find the right, the right suspension for, for this material. There's a lot of interaction between the, the cone and the suspension. Um, that's very interesting actually. Yeah. yeah well, those guys are, those guys I'm speaking of are early stage as well. So you guys might be able to help each other. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The ultimate driver. <laughs> what else we got? More graphs. <laughs> more graphs. <laughs> I can show you some some more interesting stuff. Uh, you know, we have um, one of the earlier things we did was a uh, just a bookshelf loudspeaker. We made one with uh, Misco uh, oh, yeah. in the U.S. Uh, they also work with Workwin. So they did a lot of early stage sort of categorization of the material and helped us assemble some some drivers to kind of test it out. And so our sort of demo speaker that we share at trade shows and sometimes ship around so that people can hear the technology um, was basically a, a three-inch 
uh, polymer driver where we did the same process. We took the driver cone, we ripped it out, we made the exact replica in graphene uh, and with the same geometry, the same thickness, same everything, and, uh, and just popped it back in, in the, the same speaker. And it's not you know, a particularly good loudspeaker to begin with, but we can see the sort of the performance delta is, is interesting. Um, you know, the first thing you can notice is that the, the graphene membrane is actually about a third of, well, almost a third of the mass of the, uh, the original polymer cone. And then even when you, you know, add in all the other masses, we still have a, enough of a mass savings overall that we see, you know, almost uh, two and a half to three dB increase in level uh, across the bandwidth relative to that original polymer cone. Uh, and the other thing we see is that uh, we've extended the bandwidth by almost a full octave because mm. you, the, we don't have the, the speaker breakup at such a low frequency. We push that up to a higher frequency. And so we get, you know, almost 3 dB more output and almost a full octave uh, more output. Fantastic. That's really interesting. We have a dip in the response here because of the interaction between the suspension and the, the cone though. Yep. That's a perfect example of us, you know, having some, some interesting suspension cone interactions. Yep, and agree. with this, this too, we can also kind of look at the, the benefits of the, the damping, you know, the PET or whatever the polymer was for that loudspeaker is fairly well damped, at least relative to say aluminum, but uh, you can still see in the uh, waterfall plot that uh, the graphene uh, settles much faster in time than the, the polymer rings out relative to the, the graphene. Mm. And, you know, I personally feel that that's a big part of what makes uh, subjectively the sound quality of, of the graphene material so good. I guess that is, uh, do you think that's due to the reduced mass? So the damping effect of the acoustic fluid is more pronounced? Um, well, the, it's, it's based on the, the material itself, uh, the, the laminate structure and the way that the, the flakes kind of move against each other creates friction and absorbs energy or dissipates power uh, relatively efficiently. Mm -hmm. um, also, the, part of the reason why we see this is just the, because of the reduced amount of modal resonances, right? You can kind of look at the frequency response and see, you know, some of the, the peak in the um, and the response in the polycone is going to, is going to ring out, uh, I guess that's about 10 K here. Um, oh, I more. see. Yes. Actually, I, I read the graph incorrectly. That, uh, that's the higher frequency is closer to us. Yeah, that's weird. Right, it right, is, right, it's right, a bit right. strange. Uh, <laughs> it, this is 5,000 Hertz up to 20,000 Hertz. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. All right. Um, yeah. What else can we know? <laughs> uh, well, you know, the other the other big application for us is micro speakers. Um, yeah. And uh, we've been, you know, trying to, you know, apply this material for for micro speaker membranes. And what we see there, our big advantage there is really the uh, the mass, the weight savings, and the, therefore the sensitivity increases that we can see. Um, okay. It's uh, you know, we're, we're creating membranes that are similar in stiffness to, to aluminum, uh, 
Um, but uh, we're able to, you know, make it lighter so that you get, you know, often a dB or two more output uh, relative to the original driver. So this was a 3209. Um, this is just a, like a 11 by nine, I think, typical driver that you would find in a, a yeah. cell phone. Uh, but the aluminum, you can see the aluminum response down here. Uh, all the breakup frequencies are fairly similar. So we're not really, you know, we're not pushing that, uh, that high frequency limit, which is a lot of companies would like us like to see us do. They want to see us, you know, really push that, uh, that stiffness up higher. Um, but, and, and we, we see some potential to get there, but at the moment, what we can offer is, is this increase in sensitivity, you know, a dB or two more output, depending on the, uh, the, the size of the driver and the weight of the voice coil and the other masses that are involved. And for uh, like mobiles and tablets and notebooks that have like voice control, is the damping characteristic of the diaphragm helping with the the voice interactive? Like the you know the 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 voice pickups often can have problems with aluminum causing a little ring effect and a feedback loop. So does your material help solve that? Um. Actually, I, that's a very interesting question. I, I'd love to know the answer to it. Uh, we haven't, <laughs> we haven't really gotten that far with our with our micro speaker applications yet. You know, we're still trying to impress the right people and uh, and get it, you know, into some sort of early stage projects. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hear those Amazon sells a couple speakers, so maybe they're a good uh, a good target <laughs> if you can solve that problem. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, well, that's quite a bit of information on uh, on graphene, so uh, aura graphene. Um, so, yeah, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to ask, Simon? Uh, no, no, I think I've covered everything I've got in mind. Okay. Uh, and Eric, uh, anything else you'd like to add? No, that's it. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come here and, and talk about what we've been working on. You know, we, we think it's very exciting. It's, it is again in an early stage, but uh, you know, hopefully we'll start to see it in, in real products in the not too distant future. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, hopefully 2021 uh, puts us back on the road and we can uh, interact in person, but uh, yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Um, we'll put all the uh, information for your social media connects in the description for everybody to check out. And please ask any questions you guys want to want to know and follow up to what we've talked about today. And subscribe and like and share this uh, podcast. So thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys.